You're listening to the Fun Employment Radio Network. Hello, this is Fun Employment Radio. I am Greg Nibbler here with Sarah X. Dillon. Oh, hello. Hello, and this is, of course, a very special episode of Fun Employment Radio, not one of our normal ones. We're going to talk to you about not doing drugs, kids. Yes, we're going to turn our hats around backwards. We're going <laughs> to rap with you. I realized that sounded like very intervention <laughs> style, the way I was doing that. It did. <laughs> it's not, not intentional. I just meant it's not one of our regular episodes. It's one of our special interview episodes. And today, we were joined by Kevin Allison from The Risk Podcast and, of course, The State from back in the day. He is... Fantastic! Oh, yeah. He and is a, an amazing human. Absolutely. He's in, inspiring. I feel very he is inspired inspiring. Now. Absolutely. Yeah. And so he's here in Portland uh, doing the Risk podcast live at Revolution Hall. Uh, revolutionhallpdx.com is yep. the right address. That's it. And so he's doing that on Saturday, April 30th. Um, very, very cool. I highly suggest if you're in town, get tickets. But he also tours all over the place. So go wherever you are, go to this show. And the magical thing is also podcasts are everywhere, just like you're listening to us now. Yes. And which thank- means you can hear <laughs> you yeah. can hear his podcast <laughs> along with ours. Indeed. And mm. thank you for finding us. Yeah. So uh, let's just go ahead and play it. Kevin is fantastic. Here's Kevin Allison on Fun Employment Radio. Yay! Hello, everyone. We are now joined by Kevin Allison. I don't know why I said yay. I've had I've been working since like eight this morning on filming all these things, and I've had I don't know how many pots of coffee. We've yeah. made so. we've made three cups of coffee, and there have only been the two of us yeah. here all day. Yeah. Yeah. We've had three pots. So of coffee. I'm at the yay moment. In about an hour and a half, I'm gonna crash really hard. Oh yeah, is what's gonna oh, happen? Oh yeah. Oh well, we are very happy to be joined by Mr. Kevin Allison. Yeah, thank you. It's great to be here. Thanks oh, so much. We're yeah. so great that you were able to make it work and you know battle across town with all of the crappy traffic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Super good time. <laughs> um, have you been here to Portland before? I have. I love Portland. We did the first time we did Risk in Portland was at the Bridgetown uh, oh. Comedy Festival. Right, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that was an extraordinary show and we really loved the audience so much that we thought, you know, why don't we just start coming on our own? Yeah. Uh, yeah, without even I mean even though that's a fabulous comedy festival we just started coming back on a regular basis and have just found that the audiences here are so like open-hearted and warm and fun and receptive well and this is such a good town for storytelling and that kind of aspect too um because yeah. i did one a couple years ago which you was, did it was very brave yeah i was i was a little bit scared doing it because i'm not i mean i'm used to being here and do it you know talking on the radio or doing something on video but not in front of the live audience like yeah, that and yeah. just telling something personal it wasn't as personal as you guys get on your show but <laughs> it was still it was a little bit it was strange it was yeah. a pretty amazing I, story about him going to vegas and going on a date with a stripper yeah oh great yeah who he thought was in love with him it was pretty it was a, yeah. it was a great story <laughs> i was 21 i didn't know any better <laughs> it was trickery <laughs> but but yeah i mean how how did risk start Well, Risk actually started after 12 years of me not knowing what the hell I was doing (laughs) with my life. You know, I I was in this comedy group called The State. Which we're huge fans of. (laughs) I was in The State. We were in, you know, that was when we were 23, 24 years old when we were on MTV. And the group. It, it, the group had a, a breakup that was uh, basically like the Beatles. It was like, oh my God, about a year and a half of turmoil. Oh wow! Ooh, drama. But finally, okay. yeah. Like we, we. It what what it was was that we had this very successful show on MTV, but then we were, got big for our britches and we're like, no, 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 we've got to go to the networks. We we wanted to go to ABC and then Fox and then NBC. Or we were just like, you know, flirting with everybody, and eventually. 
We did do a special for CBS, but they fired us immediately after <laughs> oh, doing really? it. And we went through a whole rigmarole with Disney, with contracts, and yeah. And basically, after a year and a half, we were kind of starving. Mm-hmm. And, and it was ridiculous because. We should have just stuck with that MTV show to begin with. Yeah. Right. Um, so after the group kind of broke up, the kind of backstabbing started happening. And, and you really started, all just went your separate yeah. ways. Yeah. Well, you know, what was interesting is that I kind of I kind of went my separate way, mm. whereas a lot of people in the group like stayed in little cliques doing stuff together. And, you know, if I had to do it all over again, would I do things differently? I think I would have made much more of an effort to stay as socially connected to other members of the group as I could mm-hmm. and to make sure that I was getting up on stage. Basically what happened is after the state broke up, I was dealing with so much stage fright and social anxiety and just like, oh my God, do I have what it takes? Yeah. You know, I, I was going through this really fearful period of feeling like, oh my God, no, 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 no. I have to be doing cater waitering now to make sure I can keep a roof over my head. Right. And putting all my time and energy into stuff like that and kind of avoiding fearfully being around other comedians because mm. being in the state had been really kind of rough on the ego. Very competitive, very lots of rivalry in that group. And I'm a nice guy. <laughs> I don't do as well in a group that's super competitive. And, you know, comedians roast the hell out of each other. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So we were that kind of group. And afterwards, I felt kind of bruised. Like, wait, do I really want to do that? What do I really want to do? So for 12 years, what I mostly did was drink. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that does sound so overwhelming to be spending all day with people and you're sparring with them all the time, not oh, knowing where. God. That must have well, been so exhausting. You know, I was the member of the group, of the state, who, because, you know, I was the only gay one. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was like, hey, why don't we start our days at MTV with a check-in where everyone can just like emote and say how they're really feeling and no jokes and yada, yada, you know, like really like lay it out there what's going on, which is ironic because now I'm the guy who runs Riz, you know, <laughs> like basically what ended up happening is uh, Tom Lennon would always say, Kevin has the best check-ins because I was the only gay member of the group. There were... Ten guys, one girl. I'm the only gay guy among them. But they would all hang out with each other after work and, you know, get drunk together and continue writing sketches. Mm. Whereas I would go off to these kinky dungeons and underground places in the meatpacking days. I was always off on my own little gay adventures. So the next day... I would have the craziest check-ins, and that's why many years later, literally like in 2009 when I first staged a show, I did a show called F Up. It was five character monologues, five characters who had effed up their careers. Mm. One of them was even a Jewish vaudevillian performer (laughs) whose whose partner had gone on to Hollywood and become rich and famous and he was left behind. So, like, very clearly autobiographical. Oh, <laughs> working through on. the issues. Yeah. This was all a one-man show you were doing? Yeah. Wow. This was about in 2000. I was trying to do a lot of one-man stuff during my years in the wilderness, in the mm. belly of the whale. And Michael Lee and Black came to see the show when I did it in San Francisco at their Sketch Fest. And he said... 
I said to him afterwards, what did you think? Because I really didn't feel like my work was connecting with people at mm. that point. There were like 15 people in an audience <laughs> that could seat, the house could seat like 300. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, it was it was rough. And I said, what did you think? He said, I think the audience just wanted you to drop the act and start speaking from the heart with your own true experience. And I said, ah, but for 12 years I've been going into auditions worrying about Am I too gay? Should I be less gay? Should I be less Midwestern? What about my absurdist streak? Am I showing too much of that? Am I too spiritual? You know, trying to figure out how to change myself for Hollywood casting agents. Yeah, to adapt to what they would want. Exactly, exactly. So I said to Mike, I was like, I think that would just be too risky to be myself. And he said, that's the word. He said, if it feels risky, then you're kind of opening up and, Mm -hmm. and people will open up to you. So I was like, all right, I'm 39. I was like, still dirt poor. I'm like, I'm, if I'm going to turn 40, I better like face the fear. Let me try this true storytelling thing and let's make it risky. So the very next week I got back to New York and I asked Margot Lightman and Julia Rozzi if I could do their storytelling show, which was called Strip Stories, All Stories About People's Sex Lives. Mm-hmm. I said, I'm going to tell the story of the first time I tried prostituting myself. And it, it tried. Is the word. <laughs> An attempted prostituting. <laughs> I was not really cut out for that line. Of so work. it was not successful. <laughs> and, the, and she said, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, come do the show." But then the day of the show, a couple of days later, I, I called her. I was like, "I can't do this. It's too risky. <laughs> That's so revealing." <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. I was like, "Who? I don't know what audience I'm going to be standing in front of talking about this." But how? are they going to react? So I called her the day of. I said, it's too risky. And she said, that's great news. And I said, what? She said, listen, every time we do this show, someone calls and says, I can't do this because these are stories about people's sex lives. Like they've got to kind of really open up and Mm -hmm. it feels vulnerable. So she's like, there are people who get up on stage five nights a week and, and, you know, they get to this show and it freaks them out. Mm -hmm. But if I can convince that person to tell their story, that'll be the one that hits it out of the park. So I was like, all right, all right, you convinced me. So I did the story and it was truly a transcendental moment for me. It was truly a like, I was like, right in the middle of telling the story, I was like, oh, I'm looking right into people's eyes. Mm -hmm. They're nodding at me. I'm kind of, I don't even have to memorize it word for word because I'm talking about my life. I know what comes next. You know, like all of a sudden there was just this energy that was pouring back and forth between me and the audience that hadn't been there with all the character monologues. And afterwards, people weren't just saying stuff like that was funny. People were saying shit like, oh, my God, I've never prostituted myself, but (laughs) you reminded me of this argument I got into with my mom when I was 16 years old. You know, like if you tell true stories it just the emotion in it will just resonate with other people in certain ways it it starts to become about more than you mm-hmm. you know when you mm-hmm. put it out there and so i literally walked away from the ucb theater that night in chelsea and i remember walking down 8th avenue and saying risk that word risk has come up twice now in the past several days first michael black and then margot I've got to create a show called Risk. And I knew two things. I knew 
after all those years of failure, I was like, it can't just be a small room theater show. Yeah. Ha- I have to find a way to put it out to the masses. So I started studying up on this whole podcasting thing. This was in 2009 when this was going on. So podcasts had been around for four years, mm-hmm. but we're still pretty new. Yeah, and that's that's yep. when we started up in 2009. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah, it's we, been almost we were in commercial radio and then, yeah, got let let go from there as let happens. Go. Gently yeah. released. Gently released <laughs> from the morning show and, yeah, just tr- decided to try it back then, too. Yeah, and but I remember the not, struggles of starting in 2009 because, like, yeah. nobody, you know, because when you do podcast, people are like, there's, what the hell is well, that? there's no yes. template for it. Yeah. Yeah. There's no template to really make it work. You know, you have to kind of figure it out on your own, especially back then. Oh, absolutely. Uh, you know, risk in the early days, like we were, we, we, we went from month to month being like, have no idea if we're going to be around <laughs> next month. You know what I yeah. mean? It really was like, I, my husband left me basically. Uh, I, it, it, I, I became so obsessed with this show. I was like, Oh, I've found it. I've after twelve years, I've found the the next thing after the state mm-hmm. that I truly, deeply believe in, and feel like, ah, this I can do. This I believe in. I'm I'm going to put all my energy into this, and so it became more than a full time job while it was making less than zero. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I was oh. going into more and more debt just putting it out there. Um, but I believed in it. And, and and Ariel, my husband, and and I honestly don't blame him. I mean, he knows I talk about this sometimes. But he was just like, look, this isn't – it might take you years to get this thing to start making money. And it's just not working for me that you don't have a regular full-time job. And I was like, I know, but that's what <laughs> – This is it. Yeah. <laughs> it's what it is. So, Yeah. Wow. Well, once you have it, you don't want to let it go, I'm sure. Yeah. Oh, no. Especially after 12 years of not knowing. Mm, Once you found your thing. Oh, yeah. 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 Um, So, yeah. So, so it's been a very, very exciting time. Just the the show really did transform my life. So, did it start as a podcast first or as a show? No. uh, The summer of 2009, I talked to Michelle Walson, who was a uh, comedy director who had done some shows at the People's Improv Theater. Mm -hmm. I had actually been the artistic director for one year at the People's (laughs) Improv Theater. That's as long as I could last because (laughs) I'm not a very organized person. (laughs) I've I've since found someone to be that person for my own business. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) Good. But yeah, while I was the artistic director there, I met Michelle and she was, you know, directing a comedy show there. And I was just so impressed with our conversations about how she was directing Mm -hmm. that I was like, I want to work with her on something someday. So I invited her. I said, look, I'm going to create this show. It will be a, a live show, but you know, within a couple of months of doing the first live shows, I want to make it a podcast because I know I have to reach for a bigger audience. So during the summer of 2009, we started recording the radio style stories. There's two kinds of stories on risk. There's the ones that are in front of a live audience. Mm -hmm. And there are the radio stories, which are like recorded one-on-one with music and sound design added. So during that summer, we started recording people one-on-one And it was at the end of the summer in August when we started doing the first live shows. And then in October when we put out the first episode. So it was all very 
like no this is a big old plan of attack for what what we hope to will be at, at first it was an every other week show uh which it doesn't work quite as mm. well Cause it sounds like a pretty intense show yeah oh yeah. we had to we had to learn there's a lot of production involved in risk yeah so we really had to learn how to put episodes together before we were like okay now we think we can do this weekly yeah yeah mm. yeah, yeah. And so, so that's what it's remained is weekly. Yeah, I, I guess it went weekly in sometime in our second year or so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's been that ever since. Yeah. Well, and some of the stories that that you know that people talk about on there, you know, I, I it's even in the description on on there. It's not like an NPR style. Like this is people bearing really you know intimate details of their lives. Yeah, that was what I saw. Like, because when I started exploring what else was out there after having that first experience with mm-hmm. Margot Lightman at her show, I got to know The Moth and This American Life, especially. Mm. I started listening to a lot of the episodes of their shows. I was very inspired, but I instantly saw, oh, there's a real room for me to fill a niche, which is what stories could they not run mm-hmm. right. because, you know, they're on public radio. You know, they, they, they have to follow standards and practices. So what are stories that might be so emotional or so kinky or so spiritual or so controversial that they would shy away from? Um, and so that was the whole kind of the the – we say it's where people tell true stories they never thought they'd dare to share in public. So we always encourage people, when I'm helping people prepare to tell a story, I will act like a therapist. I will poke and poke and poke. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, Wayne, there's something you're not telling me about your mother, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that has to have been a challenge. Like, as you as you started doing this, I mean, you found the ability to tell these stories. But how how did you find other people willing to be so so bold on stage, you know, and and to tell something so personal. You know, it's really interesting. It was a very organic process because when the show started, it was mostly comedian friends of mine, right? So... Which was very helpful for establishing the reputation of the podcast in the beginning. We had people like Margaret Cho and Sarah Silverman and Mark Maron. And And you had Kamau on as well, didn't you? Uh Yeah, yeah. yeah. So we had a lot of, of great folks like that on the show. And you know, it was a little bit hard to get through to some of those folks. No, no, drop the act. Don't do, you know? Get get outside your own comfort zone and like uh, say things that you might not say in your ordinary act. Um, but what happened was, you know, I, there was there were a couple of folks who shared who who were like not well-known comedians, but uh, kind of up-and-coming folks who did a couple of radio-style stories with mm-hmm. us, where the level of honesty, you know, one was a molestation story, and another was his sister had recently uh, OD'd on cocaine oh. story. Wow. And when we ran those stories, this was probably the end of the first year, then the fans started responding in a certain way. The fans of the show were like, oh, this goes there. You know, this is able to go that deep. And they started pitching us their stories. And I always say that really the fans helped to create the show by ultimately understanding the philosophy of the show and starting to bring their own stories. So, for example, like, we're in Portland now. We were just in Seattle last night, and we were just in Vancouver, Canada the night before. These three shows that... I'm doing out here in the Northwest, 
these are all just fans of Risk who wrote in and pitched their stories. And, and as usual, some of them are hilarious, but then some of them are just like, oh, my God, you yeah. know, really, really heavy stuff. And it's because they love the show and they kind of get what the show is trying to do. Well, and that's really nice of you to open up the opportunity for them. I saw on your website, like, you basically tell people how they can apply. Like, like we're coming to the city. These are the things that I need from you. Yeah. You know, do you think you have something to say? Yeah. You know, it's kind of interesting because I was just talking about how it started off with a lot of comedians is that now it's harder for us to find funny stories. Like, people are oh. so psyched about how we go to these really deep, traumatic places, you know, how we're able to go there, that we get flooded with those. And and quite frankly, those are often the most compelling stories. Mm. But I do really like to make a point of leveling things out by occasionally having a purely hilarious story about someone pooping their pants on a date. <laughs> right. You know what yeah. I mean? <laughs> well, that's got to be inspiring for you just to have you know, people feeling more comfortable to talk about these things. Because, I mean, there, there, there probably wasn't an avenue for them to get that out before and didn't understand, okay, am I going to be brave enough to even tell my friends this story, let alone a whole giant audience of podcast fans? Yeah, and you know what? I it, It's changed me, too, because during the process of doing Risk, I have given up alcohol, given up pot, started meditating, started studying Buddhism, and has started therapy like th these are major 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 life changes on my own and when I really look back at it now now that I'm a couple years into that I see that oh you know what there was a part of me that started to realize that I'm holding a lot in my hands with like you know helping people to tell these stories mm -hmm. and so I better start taking care of myself and making sure I'm clear-headed and in good, you know, like coming from a centered place and able to carry that weight, you know? That is so interesting. Like you found your your center, like you found your purpose, basically. Yeah, yeah. That's really exciting yeah. to be able to kind of pinpoint that. Yeah. Well, especially after, like you said, the, you know, the 12 years of not knowing what you're doing, which I think a lot of people go through <laughs> that, you know, in their own ways, trying to find that thing that's that inspires you, you yeah. know? You know, it's so funny because when I look back, there are so many things that I used to say. There, You know, we have these little myths about our own lives that now I hear people saying all the time. Like, for example, that those 12 years of failure, I thought, who fails for 12 years? And now people share about that all the time. Mm -hmm. Another yeah. thing I used to say was I didn't have a long-term relationship. I didn't have a serious boyfriend until I was 31. And at the time, I was like, oh, my, who... Who does that happen to? Mm -hmm. People share about that on the show all the time now, where they didn't really have a serious boyfriend or girlfriend until their 30s. And so. that's nice to be able to know you're not alone in any of that stuff that makes you yeah. feel completely isolated. Right. right. Yeah, because yeah, right. a lot of times you don't want to talk about that because, you know, whether it's social stigma or you're just embarrassed or you think you're doing something wrong, but you're not. Yeah. You know, you're just a normal person. You know, <laughs> yeah, normal like, person we're all normal people. <laughs> we all have weird things about us, you know, <laughs> we're all or special things we feel are weird. <laughs> well, so for the show t 
tomorrow night. So you you have a great lineup for tomorrow. Are you going to be recording that as it goes live for like the next podcast, or do you like split it up into different podcasts depending on the type of story? The way that it works is for all of our live shows, we record them, and then we only end up using on the podcast about fifty percent of what we record live in front of audiences, and that's because you know it really is kind of a crapshoot. So there there are people who have meltdowns. There are oh, people. <laughs> who have had to leave the stage mid-story before. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, and, and then there are times when a person just like, you thought, oh, gosh, I thought they were going to go there with something, and then they kind of didn't go there once they were actually yeah. in front. So, so, yeah, it's, it's the, on the other hand, though, seeing a Risk show live, people say, oh, my gosh, I've been listening to the podcast for so long. But seeing it live has its own energy because it's live theater, you know? Mm -hmm. So you feel like sometimes people, like I've literally had people people have to leave the theater. Oh, wow. (laughs) Because like something got too intense or they, you know, felt like they were getting faint or something. Yeah, so. Oh, man. So yeah, it's uh, the live theater experience is um, kind of fascinating in its own right. Well, you get to see the ones that might not make the cut. Yeah, for the right, podcast right, right, and like right. not necessarily because they're bad it's because like you know it wasn't the right fit but it could be a fascinating story well, right. that's like the difference between hearing you know an, a finished album from a band and then seeing them live and seeing you know the flubs right. when they mess up live right, or right. they do something different or sometimes it's just a matter of that we'll get we'll, we'll have two people share a story that are too similar mm-hmm. in a certain way mm-hmm. you know right right around the same time so yeah it's it's all sorts of random factors, but um, but yeah. So that's what we'll be doing tomorrow night. Tomorrow at, night at Revolution Hall. Yeah, which is a really cool venue. Yeah. yeah, it is. It's a great place. And you know what's fascinating is that every time we do a Risk Live show, there's usually at least one or two people who have never gotten up in front and shared a story live on stage before. Oh, that's wow. going right into it. Damn. <laughs> <laughs> that's jumping into the deep end. If you can do that, like, and you never have been anything. on stage, yeah. Yeah. You're, you're fucking set. No, that sounds like my like, nightmare. I have such nothing stage Nothing should scare fright. you. Like, I've talked behind a microphone for 15 years, but, you know, I cannot. Right. Standing up on stage. Oh. Isn't it interesting? Like, like I, I, I was talking to Mark Marin about this once because the first time I did a radio story of my own, mm-hmm. it was so funny. I was creating these radio stories for the longest time for other, with other people people just one-on-one but it wasn't until about two years into creating risk that i was like oh i could do one of these where it's just me talking into the microphone and then we add music and sound design but for me that was kind of bizarre Mm -hmm. because all of a sudden i I was speaking into this audience that i couldn't really see so it was like an archetypal so like exactly opposite pretty much because i'm used to invisible people and you can see people i can talk to invisible people all day long i'm totally fine with that well what i found was that i was able to get even more much more intimate actually in in my little recording booth in my living room And I talked to Mark about it, and he was like, watch, that'll probably end up, if you keep doing that, that'll probably end up affecting the extent to which you feel like you can do that sort of thing in front of a live audience, too. So I always think that it's... That makes sense. Yeah, that it's kind of fascinating to whatever kind of creative work you're doing to try it in different locations or in different contexts and try it different ways because you never know how something might strengthen a muscle that you don't you didn't know needed strengthening. You know? That is so That's inspiring. It's a, a very good point. 
I would have never thought that Mark Maron would lead to something that is inspiring to me. <laughs> this is good. Well, Kevin, where can people follow follow your adventures, follow the podcast? Just basically peek in on your life and see what you're up to. Well, Risk is always at risk-show.com. Uh, of course, you can easily find it on iTunes as well. But we also have a school. It's at thestorystudio.org. I train people to do storytelling one-on-one -on -one over Skype, or we have these like video lectures that you can download on your own and just kind of take workshops on your own. So yeah, we do a lot of storytelling training as well. Oh, That's really cool. Well, congratulations on on all the success with this and just finding this. It's so it's you're very inspiring. Oh, you are a very inspiring so person. You are like I'm yeah. gonna walk out of this interview feeling better than I did before. Right? Yeah. So that's awesome. good. <laughs> it's really cool. So uh, get the tickets revolutionhallpdx.com. You can pick up tickets. And so the show is April 30th tomorrow night. Saturday. Uh, yep. Saturday, April 30th. Uh, doors at eight. Show at nine. And yeah, go down there. Go see the show. Go see the show. Yes, and it's you all ages to. too. So even if you happen to not be 21. You can still go. Wow. I yeah. That's really good. It's real good stuff. <laughs> Kevin, thank you so much. Thank you, guys. Oh, that was wonderful. There we go. That was Kevin Allison, Fun Employment Radio. Oh, that, wow. He's, he's so great. He's, he's fantastic. So uh, check out everything that he's got going on there. And if this is your first time listening to our show, uh, thank you for finding us. We do our show five days a week. We do the podcast, uh, funemploymentradio.com, depending on where you found us. And we really appreciate you tuning in. And it's been great. Awesome. Thanks. Thank you.